Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Um, I want to speak to us and help us to ask a question today, which is this. What shall we do about the planet? And there's lots of different places we could go to to help us ask that question. I know that I certainly don't have all the answers. Maybe we could go to the man, the myth, the legend, David Attenborough. We definitely could, actually. He knows a lot. I also thought my dog, Nutmeg, she knows a lot about nature. She could tell you a lot about different species of squirrels. But instead, we're going to look today to help us ask the question, what shall we do about the planet to the one who made it? And so if it's okay with you, we're going to spend a bit of time jumping around our Bibles. And so if you've got a Bible, you might want to grab it, but the words will come up on the screen as we go through. And we're going to start by doing a potted history of the planet. And then we're going to ask three questions that I think God's just prompting us to think about as a community. So shall we start with a bit of scene setting? What does scripture have to say about the planet? Well, the very first verses in scripture say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created the world out of nothing. Physicists would say that one moment there was nothing and the next moment there was something. And theologians would say that before the creation of the world, God was there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God didn't need to create the world. He would have been just fine without us. But God chose out of love to create the world and everything in it so that he could extend his love to us and be in relationship with us. And the creation narrative tells us that once the earth has been created and the sun and the moon and the planets and the plants and everything in it, then God created humans. And if we ask the passage why, well, it says humans were created to work and take care of the garden, to tend to it, to nurture it, to preserve it, to watch it and guard it. Did you know that God has appointed you and me and all of humanity to temporarily lead his planet? And in that same passage, it explains that humans were made from the dust of the earth. That's the idea that we have something in common with, with the rest of creation. Did you know that 50% of your DNA you share with a banana? You do. And God could have chosen bananas to lead his planet. But he didn't. He could have chosen a tribe of lions or a family of whales or dolphins. All of those would have been excellent choices. He could have chosen my favorite animal, a manatee. I think I would trust that guy to lead the planet. Very cute. But God didn't choose a manatee. Instead, he chose humanity to be set apart, to be made in the image of God. And instinctively, I think we know that to be true, don't we? 
We're the only creatures with the capacity to think in the way we do, to love, to plan ahead, to dream. And so a little potted history of what happened next. The first people, they rejected God's commands. They effectively forgot that they were made in the image of God. They weren't God himself. And as a result, they are banished from that first garden and they become a nomadic people. They don't really have a home on the earth anymore. And we're told that the earth is filled with violence. But some generations later, we meet Abraham. And God promises Abraham that he will give him a new land, a new home on the earth, where him and his family will flourish. They'll grow into a nation which will bless the rest of the earth. And some generations later, we meet them and they find themselves in that promised land. And yet, they continue to ignore God's commands. They find themselves willing to worship other gods and they allow suffering to reign in their land. But every so often in that time, there was a person who encountered God personally and would call all of the rest of the people back to God's commands, back to God's ways. And in each of those prophets, there are specific messages for specific people, specific warnings, but there's also one consistent message. See if you can catch it. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what Micah says. Isaiah says this, stop bringing meaningless offerings. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Instead, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Jeremiah says this, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. The message from the prophets is very clear. God calls his people to lead in a way that honors God and honors his creation and protects the most vulnerable people in the land. Their message is that worshiping God and seeking justice are totally inseparable. I don't know about you, but it feels very easy to be a Christian who worships God in church, but who ignores the far bigger task we've been given to lead his planet with justice. So that's a potted history of what scripture says about the planet, but what about the world as we know it? Well, right now, the global temperature has risen by 1.1 degrees since pre-industrial levels. We know that climate change leads to increased flooding and drought. And in the next seven years, an estimated 700 million people will be at risk of becoming climate refugees due to drought in their region. Listen to how Tulsi Kara puts it. He's a farmer in India. He's 70 years old. And this is what he says. The land I had tilled for years that fed me and, that, and my family for generations has vanished. We've lost our livelihood. All our belongings and cattle were swept away by cyclones. And so we've moved and we're trying to rebuild our lives from scratch. It wasn't like this when I was young. Storms have become more intense than ever. And we know that in the poorest countries, it is much harder to respond when floods or drought hit. The 
the poorest 47 countries in the world are home to one billion people. And together, they emit less than 1% of global CO2 emissions. And what that means is that those who have contributed the least to the climate crisis are the ones who are affected the most. And at the same time, closer to home in the UK, 26% of our mammals are at a very real risk of becoming extinct. And by 2050, there could be more plastic in the ocean than fish. And the thing I think I find the hardest about all of this is knowing that Western lifestyles like ours lead us to using more resources than the Earth can really provide. Take our food, for example. Our demand for affordable meat and crops leads to deforestation to make space for farms. Our demand for affordable fish has led to overfishing. Our demand for avocados for a cheeky Saturday morning brunch. Those have been shipped all the way from South America. And that's just our food. We burn such a huge quantity of fossil fuels in order to manufacture products and use power and travel around and build buildings that leads to climate change. And in fact, if everyone on the planet lived as we in the UK do, we'd need 2.6 Earths to sustain us. So let's return to that message from the prophets, that worshipping God and seeking justice are inseparable. The first question that I think God is asking us today is this. Will you worship him with your daily decisions? We have a choice, don't we? We can either choose to lead the planet with God's interests in mind or with our own interests in mind. We can choose to worship the God of the universe or we can choose to worship the God of self. At its root, the word worship means to bow down. And every human life bows down to something. But in London in 2023, no one will ask you to bow down and worship another God. But you will be encouraged every single day to bow down and worship the God of self. So what do I mean by that? Well, the other day when I looked in my wardrobe and I thought to myself, I have nothing to wear. Anyone else had that thought? The reality is it's definitely not true because I managed to find clothes to wear every single day. But the thought is very real. I have nothing to wear. So off I go to the one place I found where I like to buy my jeans from. And all I see is the rows and rows of jeans in the store. But these jeans have already been on a journey. In China's Xintang province, 300 million pairs are made annually. And to make a pair of jeans requires them to be washed in heavy chemicals. And as a result, it's estimated that 70% of Asia's rivers and lakes are contaminated by the 2.5 billion gallons of wastewater produced by the textile industry. And on top of that, to make the jeans cheap enough that I can just pop out and buy them whenever I fancy, Workers are exploited and paid unfair wages to work unfair hours. And so I ask myself, who am I worshipping when I choose to buy yet another pair of jeans? Do I worship myself? 
the fact that I think a new cut of jeans looks cool, that someone might compliment me on them, that I might look slightly like an influencer that I follow? Or do I honor the God of the universe who cares about everything and everyone he has made? This is the pull to bow down and worship the God of self, trying to get you to put your lifestyle above everything and everyone else. And just to be clear, I don't say any of this to guilt trip us because we're all tied into this system that promotes the worship of self. There's not a single one of us that doesn't know this tension. And the cultural current is strong. And actually, the way our economy is set up means that we're kind of tied into the system. Unless we all decided, of course, to move off-grid together and go and live in a tent, focus forever. But Jesus says there is another way. You can choose today to take on the responsibility that we've been given to lead this planet with justice. And I wonder what this could look like for you in your life. My friend Rebecca is, she's so inspiring to me. Um, She loves fashion, but she's committed herself to only buying secondhand clothes. And I texted her the other day and I said, when was the last time you bought something firsthand? And she replied like this, I genuinely can't remember but I think I did buy a jumper in January 2022. I couldn't believe it. She hasn't bought a single new thing since at least 18 months ago. And I thought, that's such a money saver too. She's smashing it. But I wonder what it would look like for you. Maybe it would look like installing a recycling bin in your office at work. Or maybe it would look like taking your kids to school on the bus rather than in the car. Maybe that's an unrealistic expectation. I'm not sure I don't have kids. Maybe your company gives you a pension or you have your own savings and you could choose to make sure those are invested somewhere ethically. Or maybe you could take a summer holiday in the UK every once in a while rather than abroad. Maybe there's a conversation that God is inviting you to have over the dinner table or out for coffee with a friend or in the boardroom. Maybe you'll think about this moment next time you come to vote in a council election or a general election. So what shall we do about the planet? Well, the question is this, who will you worship with your daily decisions? Will you choose to worship the God of the universe or will you choose to worship the God of self? A second question that I think God's inviting us to think about is this. Will you choose to fight for justice? If you need any more evidence that God really does love his planet, Jesus is it. In one of the accounts of Jesus's life, this is how he's described. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He loves our neighborhoods. And at the end of his life, Jesus was killed on a Friday, and three days later, his friend Mary Magdalene came to the tomb where his body had been laid, and there had been a huge stone in front of the tomb, and when she gets there, the stone is rolled away, and the body is gone, and she's obviously shocked and horrified, and she's crying, but listen to what happens. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And listen to this bit. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she cried out, teacher. We were created to work and take care of the garden. And as a whole species, we totally suck at it. We've left the most vulnerable people in our society exposed to the most danger. But Jesus has risen from the dead. And where we fail in our role as gardeners, he takes it on. It's so significant that when Jesus was raised from the dead, the first person who saw him, saw him as a gardener. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the one who will look after it. And he laid down his life for the world. That's the ultimate denial of the God of self. As his followers, we can choose today to put our trust in him, to follow him into a totally different lifestyle, which is countercultural and which seeks the benefit of everyone. And maybe you're shouting inside, yes, I want to worship the God of the universe. I don't want to worship the God of self. I want to honor God every day through my daily decisions. But really, little old me cycling to work rather than driving, what difference will that really make? And the truth is that our individual acts are powerful, but much more powerful is system change for the whole of society by the power of the Spirit. And I want us to cast our minds to another time when another injustice took over the world. At the end of the 18th century, William Wilberforce was a young man in his mid-twenties. And one day he went on holiday with his family and found unexpectedly that his faith in Jesus came alive. But at that time, Britain had started transporting people as slaves to the US and to the UK. And at the peak of the slave trade, Britain was transporting 40,000 slaves a year, chained up on unhygienic, dirty ships. And as William Wilberforce came to know more about the slave trade, his mind was made up that he would not rest until he saw the abolition of slavery. It took 40 years of campaigning for a change for society and a change to the law. And it wasn't until July 1833, which was three days before he died, that MPs voted through legislation which freed slaves throughout the British Empire. And as a result, nearly 800,000 people were set free. Do you dare to believe that a different future is possible for this injustice that we see today? Is your mind made up that this injustice that affects our brothers and sisters around the world needs our energy? In each generation, I think there's one or two seminal issues where people are looking to see how the church responds. And this is it. And actually, if we claim to be a people who seek justice, but really don't do anything about it, then I think our hypocrisy can be spotted a mile off. 
So will you choose to fight for justice? And the final question that I think Jesus is asking us today is this. Will you choose to trust him with the future? The final part of a potted history of the world is a promise for the future. The book of Revelation is a prophecy, and I love this one moment where Jesus, in the future, declares, behold, I am making everything new. Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York City, he passed away a couple of weeks ago, and as he was reflecting on the future, this is what he said. If Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up, walked out, was seen by hundreds of people, talked to them, if he was raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything's actually going to be okay. Because you've got to remember, we're not just talking about resurrected people. Then he goes on to say, this is where Christianity is unique. We're talking about a resurrected world. There's plenty of other religions that talk about a future afterlife, which is a non-material world. It's like a consolation for the world that we've lost. But Christianity says it's not just your bodies that are resurrected, but the world is actually going to be a material world that is cleansed from all evil, suffering, and sin. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then the world is going to be, in a sense, resurrected too. Everything's going to be okay. You don't need to be anxious about the state of the world. Yes, let's fight for justice and for societal change. Yes, let's seek the flourishing of the earth and everyone in it. Yes, let's choose to worship God with our daily decisions. And yes, let's fight back hard against the God of self. But in it all, know that there is one who is seeking the flourishing of the world and is bringing about the resurrection of the world, Jesus Christ. Let's put our faith in him today. So as we land, I'm gonna leave you with these three questions. Will you choose to worship God with your daily decisions? Will you choose to fight for justice? And will you choose to trust Jesus with the future of the world? Amen.